Today is Thursday, March 2nd, and this is the World Socialist website. White House and the U.S. media revive the Wuhan lab lie by Andre Damon. On Tuesday, Christopher Wray, the director of the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, publicly asserted that, quote, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan, unquote. Wray was the first Biden administration official to publicly assert his support for the Wuhan lab lie, a groundless conspiracy theory advocated by former President Donald Trump and his Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, claiming that China was responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic. Ahead of Ray's statement, an article by Michael R. Gordon, the discredited journalist who notoriously promoted the Bush administration's lies about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, claimed that the Department of Energy had expressed support for the lab lie. Gordon's assertions were backed up by other reported U.S. officials, likely from the White House, who spoke to CNN, NBC News, and the New York Times. As with the Bush administration's efforts to create a justification for the illegal invasion of Iraq, in which the U.S. intelligence agencies were tasked with making up false claims that were then sold to the public, the advocates of the Wuhan lab conspiracy theory within the U.S. government are consciously and deliberately lying. These lies are then fed to the public as scientific consensus by a media that ignores the fact that the natural origins of COVID-19 are well established and that there is an overwhelming consensus among virologists in opposition to the conspiracy theory. The public statement by Ray was coordinated with a bipartisan hearing the same day of the Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party, in which Democratic and Republican congressmen lined up to express their support for the Biden administration's aggressive trade war and military escalation against China. In his opening remarks, committee chairman Mike Gallagher, a Republican, said the U.S.'s quote-unquote competition with China will not be quote-unquote polite, calling the U.S. conflict with Beijing quote, an existential struggle over what life will look like in the 21st century. The star witness at the hearing, Matthew Pottinger, was the architect of the Trump administration's plan for economic decoupling from China, which has been continued and intensified under Biden. Pottinger, whom the fascist ideologue Steve Bannon praised as, quote, one of the most significant people in the entire U.S. government, was among the leading public advocates within the Trump administration of the Wuhan lab conspiracy theory. Over the coming months, the committee is expected to hold a series of meetings openly promoting the Wuhan lab conspiracy theories. As its crowning achievement, it is expected to haul Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Peter Daszak, and others before a reboot of the House Un-American Activities Committee, or UAC. The renewed promotion of the Wuhan lab lie is one component of a systematic campaign to demonize China and poison public opinion to justify war. The latest phase of the campaign began last month, when the Biden administration claimed that a Chinese research balloon that had accidentally blown over the United States was spying on U.S. nuclear facilities. The government then took the unprecedented action 
of shooting it down amid wall-to-wall anti-Chinese hysteria in the media. In the three years since Bannon and his Chinese expatriate associates originated the Wuhan lab conspiracy theory, no evidence has emerged for either an accidental release of a naturally occurring version of SARS-CoV-2 or the deliberate genetic engineering of the disease. By contrast, the past three years have added significantly to the evidence for the natural origins of SARS-CoV-2. Evolutionary biologist Michael Warby told NPR, quote, The evidence is among the best we have for any emerging virus. Warby also said to the Associated Press, quote, The scientific literature contains essentially nothing but original research articles that support a natural origin of this virus pandemic. Vaccinologist Dr. Peter Hotez told ABC News, quote, There's an overwhelming feeling in the scientific community regarding the natural origin of COVID-19. Over the past three years, the leading advocates of the Wuhan lab lie, including Matt Ridley, Alina Chan, and Richard Ebright, have, when pressed, made clear they do not know which version of the conspiracy theory they advocate because, quote, there has been no new scientific or other secure evidence, unquote, to point to one or the other, in the words of Ebright. But in July 2022, Michael Warby and Christian G. Anderson published a paper in the journal Nature that showed that the initial outbreak of COVID-19 was tightly clustered around the Wuhan wet market. The article explained that stalls holding the animals, as well as the equipment used to process them, tested positive for the presence of the virus that causes COVID-19. Following the publication of the paper, it seemed almost impossible for the U.S. government to continue to advocate the conspiracy theory. But the U.S. government's advocacy of the Wuhan lab lie has nothing to do with science. It is a piece of war propaganda and disinformation, of the kind in which intelligence agencies specialize. The FBI, the organization founded by J. Edgar Hoover to prosecute and blackmail left-wing opponents of American capitalism, is not in the business of investigating the origins of diseases. Under the COINTELPRO program, the FBI carried out burglaries, illegal spying, blackmail, and death threats. It waged a no-holds-barred effort to neutralize Dr. Martin Luther King. The tactics employed by the FBI were illegal and indisputably degrading to a free society, concluded the Church Committee in its final report. Now the FBI is launching yet again another one of its famous dirty tricks, seeking to pin the blame for the COVID-19 pandemic on a country targeted by the United States for military conquest. The public advocacy by the FBI of the Wuhan lab lie has exposed individuals like journalist Glenn Greenwald, comedian Jimmy Dore, and journalists Max Blumenthal and Aaron Mate of the Gray Zone, who are orienting ever more openly to the fascistic right. Along with their open advocacy of mass infection, they have sought to scapegoat scientists, including Dr. Peter Dazak of EcoHealth Alliance and Shi Zheng Li of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, for having created the COVID-19 pandemic. In a fawning interview last October with economist Jeffrey Sachs, an advocate of the Wuhan lab conspiracy theory, Blumenthal declared that, quote, EcoHealth Alliance was a channel for USAID and Pentagon DARPA funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which remains a key culprit in the origins of COVID, unquote. Particularly over the past year, Blumenthal and Mate have fully embraced the pandemic policy of the far right, promoting Jay Patasharaya and Martin Kuldorf, leading authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, 
which served as the model for COVID-19 policy under Trump and later Biden, that led to the deaths of over 1 million people. Last month, they were among those organizing a quote-unquote anti-war rally based on a supposed left-right unity. The WSWS opposed the rally, explaining that an anti-war movement cannot be built on the basis of unity with the fascist right. With the FBI's open embrace of the Wuhan lab conspiracy theory, they have been exposed as propagandists for the lie that will be used to justify a U.S. war with China. The escalating U.S. conflict with China raises the urgent necessity of building an anti-war movement based in the working class. This movement must be linked with the defense of a scientific response to the pandemic and the struggle to stop COVID-19 infections and ultimately eliminate or eradicate the disease. The fight against the pandemic is a key social demand for workers who are constantly exposed to the virus in unsafe and crowded workplaces by employers who cover up outbreaks and encourage workers to work even while they are actively infected. The defense of scientists from the fascist witch hunters and their apologists is a critical component of this struggle. Sri Lankan workers strike in defiance of government's essential service orders by our reporters. Half a million workers from across Sri Lanka's public and private sectors joined strikes and protests on Wednesday in opposition to the savage international monetary fund measures being imposed by the government. The measures include pay-as-you-earn or PAYE tax on workers' salaries, increased interest rates on bank loans, cuts in overtime payments, privatizations, and tens of thousands of state sector job cuts. Those participating yesterday included workers from the petroleum, electricity, water supply, ports, banks, healthcare, postal, railway, school, and university sectors. The industrial action, in defiance of President Ranil Wickremeshenge's strike-breaking Essential Services Act, included full and half-day strikes, sick leave campaigns, slowdowns, lunchtime pickets, and other protests. Socialist Equality Party members intervened in yesterday's industrial action, circulating copies of a party statement titled, Support the Strike Against the Government's Austerity Attacks, Withdraw the Draconian Essential Service Orders, Fight for a Socialist Program to Defend Social and Democratic Rights. Health workers, including doctors, held half-day walkouts and protests across the island. Thousands of workers staged a half-day strike at the National Hospital, the National Eye Hospital, and the Lady Ridgeway Children's Hospital in Colombo. They demanded the withdrawal of high bank interest rates in the new PAYE income tax and called for lower electricity tariffs and other price reductions. At Candy National Hospital, nurses, doctors, health care assistants, and other hospital workers walked out from 8 a.m. to noon shutting down the outpatient department and several treatment clinics. Only emergency services were provided. Army personnel were deployed to the facility as strike breakers. Members of the Candy Hospital Health Workers Action Committee, which was formed on the political initiative of the SCP, supported the strike and distributed the SCP statement amongst their fellow workers. 
Many health workers read it with great interest and held discussions with committee members. Most of the health workers who commented say they did not believe the strike could be won through limited industrial action and demanded ongoing action involving all health workers. Many blame the trade union leadership for preventing a unified struggle. Citing a government survey, yesterday's Daily Mirror reported that over 44,500 public servants out of 148,000 in Sri Lanka's six provinces walked out on strike. This included 36% of the Northwest, 40% of North Central, 49% of the South, 25% in Central, 21% in the East, and 19% in Uva. The survey also revealed widespread participation by government doctors across all provinces. This included 914 out of 1322 in the Northwest, 434 out of 690 in North Central, 1,547 out of 2,472 in Central Province, 942 out of 1,339 in the South, 454 out of 1,338 in the East, and 730 out of 918 in Uva. A few thousand workers from Ports Authority Terminal and the privately owned Colombo Dockyard Company demonstrated outside the main entrance to Colombo Harbor during their one-hour lunch break. Workers at the state-owned port terminals also staged a 24-hour slowdown starting at 7 a.m. on Wednesday. Hundreds of workers from the Kolonawa Oil Installation Center and the Sapogudanske refinery took work-to-rule action and held anti-privatization protests during their lunch break. The Ceylon Bank Employees Union, or CBEU, members staged a one-day strike at 637 of its branches across the country and at its head offices. With thousands participating, workers from private banks also went on strike, crippling banking operations throughout the country. The CBEU is a member of the Trade Union Collective of Professionals, an umbrella body of 15 unions that includes the Government Medical Officers Association, Ceylon Electricity Board Engineers Union, and the Federation of University Teachers Association. Power sector workers and employees of the state-owned Ceylon Electricity Board held a one-day sick leave protest involving 22,000 workers, or 90% of the total workforce. Water Supply and Drainage Board workers organized a march and held a protest outside their head office at Ratmalana, about 15 kilometers south of the Colombo City Center. University lecturers at state-owned universities such as Moratua, Kalania, Jaiwardenapura, Paradenina, Jaffna and Open University, Nawala and Colombo held token strikes, and tens of thousands of school teachers across the island protested by wearing black clothing. Hundreds of teachers and principals joined a protest in Katawa on the outskirts of Colombo. Wednesday strikes and protests powerfully indicate the determination of workers to fight the government's social attacks. By contrast, the trade unions did everything they could to limit the industrial action. Like Wickramashenge, they fear that the rising working class opposition to the IMF austerity will develop into the sort of mass uprising that last year ousted President Kotabaya Rajapaksa and his government. During the Wednesday protests, trade union leaders issued the usual hollow denunciations while allowing the government to buy time and prepare a state crackdown against the working class. In most cases, the unions restricted the strikes and protests to a single issue, the PAYE tax that has impacted many state and private sector workers. All Ceylon General Port Employees Union, or ACGPEU General Secretary Naroshan 
Gorakana declared that Wickremeshenge's Monday night extension of the essential service order to the transport sector, including the ports, would not stop the port workers' strikes and work to rule campaign. The union is affiliated to the JVP. If Wickremeshenge did not withdraw the essential services order, he declared his union was ready to unite with Health Bank University Petroleum Electricity water supply and telecom workers and, quote, reply with an indefinite general strike next week. Gorakana's empty demagogy was a crude attempt to cover up the capitulation of the port unions in his own AGCPEU to the government's essential service order by downgrading its planned one-day strike to a slowdown campaign. CBEU President Chana Desanayake declared, quote, our strike is successful and this is our beginning. We are ready to pay tax, but the tax thresholds must be reasonable. Professionals and intellectuals are in a grave crisis in deciding whether to leave the country or not. In other words, the CBEU leader is not opposing the PAYE tax, but appealing to the government for cosmetic changes. As Wickremeshenge has made clear, however, he will not modify these taxes. Contrary to the union leadership claims, the savage austerity measures will not be changed by pressuring the government. In fact, most of these unions are affiliated to the political parties of the bourgeois establishment and committed to the IMF program. As explained in the SEP statement, quote, what has objectively emerged is that the working class directly confronts state power. In opposition to the ruling class's reactionary preparations, the working class must organize its own independent counteroffensive. Workers should take the struggle for their own social and democratic rights into their own hands. The SCP calls for the formation of their own action committees, independent of all capitalist parties and trade unions, in every workplace, factory, plantation, and in their neighborhoods. Similarly, the rural poor should take steps to build such action committees. The SCP statement explained the significance of its campaign to build a democratic and socialist congress of workers and rural masses on the basis of these action committees. This, it continued, would develop the basis for a mass revolutionary movement of the working class and rally the rural poor to establish a government of workers and peasants committed to a socialist program as part of a broader struggle for socialism in South Asia and internationally. SCP campaigners and viewed protesters, many of whom voiced their dissatisfaction with the trade union leadership. A Ports Authority Navigation Division employee said on February 28th, workers were ready for a general strike but they were betrayed by the union leadership. At 2 p.m. that day, the trade unions, including the JVP-led AGCPEU, the Sri Lanka Freedom Employees Union, which is affiliated to the Sri Lanka Freedom Party, and the National Union Party Affiliated Union, organized a discussion and called for a slowdown, not a strike. They claimed this would pressure the government. This was opposed by workers from the Navigation Division. SCP members distributed party statements outside the main entrance to Colombo Harbor, a worker attached to the SLFP's trade union spoke to campaigners. He had participated in the February 22nd protests at the Fort Station, where the trade union leaders had previously announced a March 1st general strike. He said, quote, We were asked to hold a protest picket during our lunch break. A discussion was held between 40 trade unions and the government, but it failed. The government did not agree. They do not care about us, but we must keep pressing the government. He acknowledged, however, that the government, quote, will continue with its privatization measures and other IMF measures. R. Prabha, a CEB Jaffna office worker who participated in the protests, said, quote, The price of our essential goods has skyrocketed. 
but our salary is in no way sufficient to deal with the cost of living. We were forced to take out loans to meet expenses. This is why we have come to this struggle. For the past two years, we've not been paid any sick leave allowances or a bonus, and management has cut all our overtime work. She also criticized the Wickramashenge government's cancellation of the scheduled March 9th local government elections. Quote, they previously announced the elections, but now they say there is no money. But it's not a money problem. They just realized that we won't vote for the government. Knowing that they would lose the elections, they've anti-democratically stopped them. Greece's worst train disaster kills at least 40, by Robert Stevens. The worst train disaster in Greek history has claimed the lives of at least 40 people, with dozens of people still accounted for. A passenger train, en route from Athens to Thessaloniki, crashed head-on into a freight train shortly before midnight Tuesday outside the town of Tempe in central Greece. The passenger train was reportedly traveling at between 140 kilometers an hour and 160 kilometers per hour, or between 87 and 99 miles per hour, with the freight train at 100 kilometers an hour. The passenger train was traveling north after leaving Larissa Station. After the collision, the mangled train fell into a field alongside the tracks. Eight rail employees were among the dead, including the two drivers of the freight train and the two drivers of the passenger train according to Greek Railroad Workers Union President Yanis Nitsis. Around 200 people who suffered minor injuries or were unharmed were taken by bus to Thessaloniki. Many of the around 330 passengers on board were students returning home to Thessaloniki. Greece's second city has a large university population after holidays during Greek Orthodox Lent. Greek reporters said, quote, The head of the emergency unit in Larissa Hospital Apostolos Komnos said most of the dead were young people in their 20s. The fire brigade said Wednesday that 66 of the estimated 85 people injured in the collision had been taken to hospitals in Larissa. Six are in intensive care. The rescue operation required 150 firefighters using 17 vehicles and four cranes. 40 ambulances were mobilized. On collision, the first four carriages of the passenger train were derailed. The first two carriages caught fire and were, quote, almost completely destroyed and no longer exist, said regional governor of the Thessaly region, Kostos Agorastos. When the first two carriages crushed, the third carriage, the restaurant car, vaulted over them and caught fire. There were reports of passengers being flung through train windows. Some bodies were found as far as 40 meters from the railway line. Survivor Angelos told AFP, quote, it felt like an earthquake. I saw scenes of horror in the first carriages. I'm still shaking. Another survivor, Sergios Menenes, told Reuters, quote, We heard a big bang. We were turning over in the carriage until we fell on our sides and until the commotion stopped. Then there was panic, cables, fire. The fire was immediate. As we were turning over, we were being burned. Fire was left and right. For 10, 15 seconds, it was chaos, tumbling over, Fires, cables hanging, broken windows, people screaming, people trapped, unquote. A rescuer told AFP, quote, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. 
It's tragic. Five hours later, we are finding bodies. Chief Coroner at Larissa's General Hospital, Rubini Leontari, said Wednesday that 35 bodies are, quote, right now in the morgue, while the transfer of other bodies is continuing. Some bodies were completely carbonized and are unrecognizable. For the most part, it is young people. The BBC reported, quote, the local fire department previously said the train car, which caught fire, hit temperatures of 1,300 degrees Celsius, while Larissa's mayor, Apostolos Kalogionis, has indicated some of those who died would only be identifiable via DNA testing. Quote, when the final death toll is made, it could top the 80 people who died in a high-speed derailment in Spain in 2013 after a train overturned near Santiago de Compostela. Greece's previous worst train crash occurred in 1972 when people died in a head-on collision between two trains also near Larissa. The deaths already exceeded by far the last comparable head-on collision on the European rail network in 2016 and Bad Eibling in Germany, which killed 12 people. Greece's new democracy conservative government has declared three days of national mourning. The political fallout was immediate with Minister for Infrastructure and Transport Kostos Karamanlis resigning Wednesday afternoon. The heads of the Hellenic Railways Association and its project branch, Ergose, also stood down. It is not possible at this stage to identify the immediate causes of the tragedy, but it is known that both trains had been traveling towards each other on the same line for several kilometers. The 27.3-kilometer section of track in which the crash occurred was double-tracked and had automatic controls installed, but switching and signaling were still being controlled manually. A 59-year-old station manager was arrested in Larissa and charged with manslaughter by negligence, bodily harm by negligence, and dangerous interference with transport. The station master denies any wrongdoing and reportedly said the accident was down to possible technical failure. The station master took up his position 40 days ago after a year's training. Whatever the immediate causes, pinning responsibility on a single individual is a cover-up. Many understand that the causes run much deeper in a society in which basic services and infrastructure have been degraded or destroyed over the past 15 years of scorched-earth austerity carried out by successive governments, including Syriza, the coalition of the radical left. Thessaloniki student associations have demanded a full investigation with no cover-up. On Wednesday evening, protesters gathered outside the headquarters of Hellenic Trains in Cycru Avenue in the capital, Athens. One banner read, quote, It is not a mistake, nor an unfortunate moment. Their profits are placed above life. Another read, quote, Are dead, their profits. The protest was brutally attacked by riot police using stun grenades and tear gas, with the demonstration moving on towards Parliament. As the attack was taking place, Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis said in a televised address, quote, Everything shows that the drama was sadly mainly due to a tragic human error. Commenting on the dire state of the rail network between Greece's two largest cities, Train Drivers Association President Kostos Genidunius told ERT, quote, Nothing works. Everything happens manually throughout the Athens-Thessaloniki network. Neither the indicators nor the traffic lights nor the electronic traffic control work. Nikos Tiskalakis leader of the main rail workers' union, told Radio ENA that there are only 750 rail employees nationally, far below the required 2,000-plus. 
The Guardian reported, quote, on measures including overall fatalities per kilometer. Greece's rail safety record has been the worst in the EU over the past decade, according to statistics from the EU Railway Agency, although this is easily skewed by its small network, about 2% of the UK size. A high proportion of deaths have been track workers rather than passengers. During half that period, Greece's former state rail network and rolling stock company have been under private ownership, the result of an ongoing 55 billion euro mass sell-off of state assets demanded by the EU, IMF, and financial institutions during an austerity offensive carried out by successive governments led by ND, the Social Democratic, PASOK, and Syriza in office from 2015 through 2019. In June 2010, as savage austerity measures worsened, rail workers held a nationwide 24-hour strike against a proposed privatization of 49% of train OSE, which was to launch a three-year program of privatizations in exchange for onerous loan terms from the EU and IMF. More than five years after Greek rail operator train OSE was sold to Ferrovi dello Stato Italien, followed by its knockdown price purchase of the state rolling stock firm in 2018, Safety systems are still not fully automated on Greece's antiquated rail network. There have been many warnings that a serious incident could take place as a result of cuts and a failure to implement the required technology. Less than a month ago, referring to two recent train accidents on the same line, a circular from the train driver's union to its members read, quote, We are not going to wait for an upcoming train disaster to see the government and rail company shed crocodile tears. The World Socialist website is published by the International Committee of the Fourth International, the ICFI, the leadership of the World Socialist Movement, the Fourth International founded by Leon Trotsky in 1938. The World Socialist website relies entirely on the donations of readers and listeners for financial support. To give to the WSWS or to set up a regular monthly contribution, go to wsws.org forward slash donate. We urge our listeners to join the International Committee of the Fourth International and one of its affiliated political parties and take up the struggle for socialism 